morning, everyone. This morning's reading comes from John chapter 15, verses 1 through to 17, and I'll be reading from the New International Version. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. <clears throat> you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. This is the word of the Lord. It's been fantastic to... Uh, meet a few new faces, but also see some familiar faces around as well. Uh, there's been a number of people that I've known uh, through varying places around uh, the coast, and that's just wonderful because it's just a real reflection of how we're all one in Christ, and that's just a beautiful thing about being a Christian is that we are all family. I'd encourage you, if you've got your Bible there, keep it open so that you can follow along. And before we begin, let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that your word would shape us, that it would mould us, 
that it would challenge us. Father, we pray that we would have receptive hearts this morning. And we pray that your spirit would be at work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. As I mentioned, I'm the youngest of four brothers. And what that usually means is that you play generally a bit more sports than probably other families might do. And so our backyard when I was growing up was mostly a football field or a cricket pitch for most afternoons after school. Uh, we also had a veggie patch in there as well. And I wonder if there are any gardeners here. Does anyone here enjoy gardening? Just a show of hands. Yeah, there's a few of you. Fantastic. Yep. Gardening is great. Uh, we used to grow a variety of different things, but at varying points in times, we'd grow uh, things like pumpkins. And pumpkins are amazing because you can literally, if you had enough time, sit there and just watch them grow. They are amazing. And so when we had pumpkins, they would be generally not that eager to stay contained to their little patch in the veggie garden because it wasn't long before they would be reaching out of the veggie garden and taking over the entire backyard to the point where we were no longer able to play footy or cricket because they had consumed our entire backyard. But one of the frustrating aspects of those pumpkin vines was despite being really impressive and massive, they had no pumpkins on them. They were fruitless. They were wasted space. There were no pumpkins being yielded. And I think that this is the kind of thing that Jesus has in mind in this section of teaching from John chapter 15. The question for us is, are our vines all impressive on the outside, but really just empty and fruitless on the inside? How can our lives be truly fruitful? And so the big idea for us this morning is that abiding in Christ leads to a fruitful life of joyful obedience. Abiding in Christ leads to a fruitful life of joyful obedience. So before we begin, let's just get our bearings quickly. So we're in Jesus' final hours. In the previous couple, couple of chapters of John, he has washed his disciples' feet, he shared the Last Supper with them, and he's been teaching them quite extensively. At the end of chapter 14, Jesus tells his disciples to get up and leave with him. So it seems that this is occurring through between the upper room and the Garden of Gethsemane. And so you can imagine that it's as Jesus is walking along, he sees another teaching opportunity as they're going past some vineyards. Jesus says, verse 1, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. And so he starts by picking up the imagery of the vines. But notice what he says about it. Jesus says that he is the true vine. And to understand this, we need to be familiar with and call to mind some Old Testament. Because it was Israel that was often described as a vine or a vineyard. However, it was never in a positive sense that Israel was called a vine. It was always because they were a bad vine. 
From Isaiah chapter 5, we read this, verse 1, Isaiah chapter 5. I will sing a song for the one I love, a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and he cut a wine press as well. He looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. This is God referring to his chosen people, Israel, and he starts by talking about how he has provided them with everything that should be needed to provide a healthy crop of good grapes. But instead, it yields only bad fruit. Verse 3, Isaiah chapter 5, Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Verse 7, the vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice and saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. God had given the nation of Israel, every blessing. But they used his good gifts, trampled over them in their pursuit of wickedness. So when Jesus says that he is the true vine, what he's actually saying is that he is the true Israel. God's people failed continually and they were never able to fulfill righteousness So Jesus is saying here that he is the one who fulfills what the vine was supposed to be. He is the true and perfect Israel, who God's people were supposed to be but never attained. So the point that he's going to draw out is that we need to be united to Christ because salvation won't be found in being part of the nation of Israel but through our union to Jesus. The father, he is the gardener, and he tends the vine. Verse 2, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And so like any good gardener, the father wants a fruitful harvest. So the branches are tended to by God. Verse 3, You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And this seems like it's an allusion back to chapter 13, where Jesus had washed his disciples' feet. He explained that when we are washed by Christ, that he gives us a once and for all cleansing, never to be needed again. Here Jesus is stating the fact that when people believe in and are cleansed by Jesus through the hearing of his word, It's through that that we are united to Jesus the vine, that we become a part of Christ. Verse 4, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The 
the life of a Christian always bears fruit. There's no such thing as a non-fruit-bearing believer. The means of our bearing fruit, though, is wholly connected to being united to Christ. We are branches flowing out from Christ the vine. He is the sole provider of all that we need. So, what is the fruit? And commentators, they have many different opinions about this. But what I want to encourage you toward this morning is don't be reductionistic about defining the fruit. Because some believe it's evangelistic fruit, others the fruit of obedience to Christ, others faithful prayer lives. But what I fear we lose if we try and define terms like that is that a fruitful Christian life is more all-encompassing than it is restricting. Evangelistic fruit is fantastic, and a fruitful prayer life is wonderful, but to limit a fruitful life to those specifics, I think, misses the sweep of the passage, because we are to be bearers of much fruit. Jesus went to the cross so that we would be fruitful, not fruit inferior. But what is abundantly clear, as Jesus makes his point here, is that you and I are not the decisive workers in our fruitfulness. If it were left up to us, we would be utterly incapable of bearing any fruit. It's only through our connection to Jesus, the vine, that we gain the ability to bear fruit. Apart from him, we can do nothing. And that's humbling. But also, I don't want you to hear that you do nothing. You are no longer apart from Jesus. You have been grafted into him. So now it is both agents, it's you and Christ, working simultaneously to bear fruit. It's us and Jesus both working fully together. We are reliant on his strength, but we are not passive in the task. Say that again. We are reliant on his strength, but we are not passive in the task. Verse 6. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. This is a really strong warning. And it's a cause for real examination of our lives. If you are not bearing fruit, you are not a believer. You are a dead branch that is fit only for the burn pile. There is no category for the unfruitful Christian. Verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. 
And this is one of the amazing things about being in the vine. Because through our being united to Jesus, we gain access to the very mind of God. And we'll see that played out over the next few verses. But the idea is that as we grow in our fruitfulness, our will becomes increasingly united to God's will. The more we grow, the more we understand God's will, His wants and His desires. Therefore, the more that we pray, we will be asking in line with what God wants. And He will be more than happy to give them. Verse 15 says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. We are brought into the knowledge of God's business because he treats us as close and personal friends who are given intimate access to God's knowledge God's desires and his wants. And we learn that through his word. When you're united to Christ, ultimately you just need to actually stay there. You don't want to move on. That's what it means to remain in him. It's just you hang out. If you're a vine, a branch on a vine, you just sit there. You just hang out. That's what you do. The best way for you to grow is just through receiving from Christ. But as I'm sure the gardeners here would be able to tell you, branches on vines are just notoriously disobedient things. Left unattended, they try to break free of a trellis and they go and go off on their own. A branch goes this way and then a branch goes this way and this way and over there looks nice. They just go everywhere. They strive to do their own thing. And this can be a real danger for us as Christians. To move on from Christ to think that we can separate from him, go off on our own to better soils, remain in Christ, abide in Christ, rest in Christ. We don't need to move on from him. Christ and Christ alone can provide you with the nutrients that you need for a fruitful life. So, Take the time to examine and analyze your life. How are you at placing yourself into the pathways of God's grace? Because he channels life and grace to us through his word, through prayer and meditation, through the memorizing of scripture, through attending church and small groups. Are you stunting your growth through ignoring these habits of grace? Are you resting in Christ and trusting entirely in Him? Or are you trying to make yourself righteous? Are you busily trying to earn His favor through good works, good things that you do? And this can happen subtly, 
What starts out as good intentions or good practice can quickly morph into our attempts to gain Jesus' good books. I spent a full hour doing my devotions this morning. God's definitely going to bless that. I prayed for five different nations this week. I told four people about Jesus. I, I, I. We very easily slip into the mindset of doing good things for the sole purpose of making ourselves look good. And that's Pharisaic. Or maybe you're still holding on to areas that God should be pruning in your life. Those areas of dead branches that you cover over with your good-looking branches. Those areas of secret sin that you hide. Gossip, slander, sexual immorality, pornography. What is it that you're holding on to? Rather than conceal it, present it to the Father to be pruned. The longer you hide it, the more it grows. The bigger it grows, the more it hurts to cut it off. Don't allow cancerous sins to dwell in you. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. And this next section really seeks to explain the one that we've just looked at. Because the Father has always loved Jesus, and so Jesus now lavishes that same love upon us. All we have to do is remain in it, to abide in it, to rest in it. You don't need to move on from it. Just rest and enjoy being loved by Christ. Verse 10. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. The way in which we demonstrate that we love Christ is by following him. Jesus was, obedient to, Jesus was obedient to the Father in all things and therefore demonstrates his love for the Father. We likewise, we do the same for Jesus. If you love him, you will listen to what he wants you to do. And at the risk of this sounding like it's just joyless submission, Jesus tells us that it's actually through this that we gain real joy. If you want permanent, lasting, eternal joy, it is only going to be found in following Jesus. Following Jesus isn't a joyless existence of trying to appease an angry God following endless rules. No, it's true freedom and it is real joy. We could never have earned God's favor, but we don't need to because Jesus has done it for us. And so that is the source of our joy. This is why he tells us to do it. 
so that we may know and experience the completeness of joy through Christ. Because all else is vanity, emptiness, and our desires, they will be insatiable until we recognize that until until we recognize that life according to Jesus' way is real, joyful life. And that's what he wants for all of us. Verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. And we're no longer left in doubt over what God desires from us. He hasn't left us in the dark. Jesus reveals to us the way of real obedience and into the very heart of God. We don't have to stumble about and guess what God desires from us because we have his word. Through it, we gain access to the incredible riches of God's own mind and his heart for his people. In it, we see the life of Jesus as the one we can seek to imitate. But it's costly. Because to follow Jesus means laying down your life. Because that's what he's done for you and for me. If you want to have a fruitful Christian life, you must let go of your life. You can't grasp the control of it any longer. You must be willing to sacrifice your own life for the sake of Christ and for the sake of others. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Tying all of this together is the fact that we didn't choose Jesus. And that's both humbling, but also comforting. If you choose to follow Jesus, it is only because he first chose you. And this means that the evidence of any fruit in your life is actually the guarantee of your salvation. Jesus obviously wants us to bear much fruit. But maybe you're looking at your life and thinking, Ben, I don't see much fruit. Does that mean I'm not saved? Brother, sister, the quantity of fruit is not the evidence of your salvation, but rather the presence of any fruit, no matter how little, is the evidence. If you see sin in your life and you want to kill it, even if it's only a small desire, 
That is only because of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Without him, you just wouldn't care about it. If you desire to please God, even if it's only a slight desire, that is evident. But don't stop there. Jesus is a flourishing vine wanting to grow branches that bear immense fruit. So cultivate whatever slim desire you have through the nurture of Christ. Plant your stem deep in the word of God so that those small desires may grow and be fed and watered and grow a hundredfold. Jesus He's a close and personal friend. Jesus is right there when you need him most. He is always ready to hear your struggles. So come to him in prayer. He's the friend who carries you to the end. He's the shoulder that you can cry on. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is closer than a brother, and he gives you all that you need. You know that time in the afternoon, kind of just after having lunch, when everything just becomes a little bit more difficult? You start feeling the eyelids becoming a bit heavier. Your brain slows down, and you just struggle to get things done as fast. It's what tempts us to put things off until another time, another day, maybe another month, or to just be half-hearted, to sweep the dust under the carpet rather than grabbing the dustpan and sweeping it into that, because no one sees that. I feel like that's how a lot of us feel about the Christian life all the time. It's just hard work, and it is hard work. It feels a bit mundane and you're just struggling to see any real progress. What would it mean for us to truly grasp the fact that we are attached to a vine that is limitless? That the only thing holding us back from real change and real growth and real joy in Christ is ourselves. The fact that we keep trying to do things under our own steam rather than just feeding from Christ. And maybe as you think on these things, you're realizing that you have been practicing the means of grace that I mentioned earlier, but coldly. Not as a source of joy, but just out of duty. Jesus frees us from this. We don't need to be Pharisaic in our duty, but we should approach with a heart that wants to experience more of Christ. Come to your Bible with a heart of eager expectation that you are about to meet with God himself. That you get to hear and know the very mind of God through his word. It's a joy to dwell on and rest in his word. How are you going at loving others? It's not always easy, is it? 
how do you go at loving your kids when they're frustrating? For the ninth time, you've told them to play quietly, but they just keep getting louder and louder. What's your response? What about your teenagers? You seemingly have to hound them over and over again to do anything as they sit there striving to gain their independence. For you as a teenager, how do you respond when your parents ask you to do something? Rather than be exasperated, could you humbly try and understand their perspective and maybe chat through politely the issue that is at hand? Maybe it's others in church or that person in your small group who you just find hard to love. How could you respond in humbleness, recognizing your own pride, and try and help guide them into a deeper relationship with Jesus? Maybe it's someone at work or at school. You both seem to butt heads every time you chat. How can you demonstrate the self-sacrificial love of Christ to them? Every relationship we experience in this life will be marked by some amount of tension. But Jesus, he's the one who can help us. He's the one who can free us. He's the true friend we all need, the one that we can run to for the grace that we need. It's not up to you. Abiding in Christ leads to a fruitful life of joyful obedience. Christ is the vine, you are the branch. He supplies your every need. He alone is your access to life. Abide in him, rest in him. You don't need to move on from him. You don't need to look further than him. He is your beginning and he holds you through to the end. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you that we are united to him. Thank you that this union with Christ is all that we need, that it is not up to us, that you provide for us abundantly everything that we'll, we will ever need and that you will carry us through to the end. Father, help us to be active in our own lives, putting into practice these things. Help us to daily seek to belong to you, the vine, and not try and go off on our own, do our own thing. Strengthen us by your spirit that we may take real joy and delight in you, in your word, and that we would experience more and more of the joy that is in you. Jesus' name.